Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy, folks. You're with Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. So glad you're here with me this day. Uh, Today, uh, we are going to be discussing the I Stand with the Ten campaign. It used to be I Stand with the Eleven campaign, and more on that later But God's grace and peace be unto you this day. I'm so glad you're here. So let's get into it. So um, most of you are aware, maybe some of you are not aware. You know, we have been with the ministry of Operation Rescue, Operation Save America, where for many years, you know, we practice the doctrine of interposition where we uh, placed ourselves between the oppressor, the parents, and the abortion industry, and the victim of the of their malice, the preborn, and uh, interposed, um, stood in the gap, made up the hedge between the oppressor and the victim, in hoping, in hopes of that we would rescue the victim, the preborn child, and that that ministry was very, very uh, effectual. There were tons of death camps that were shut down because of that intervention. Um, there were thousands of babies' lives spared the horrors of abortion. And there were hundreds and hundreds of souls that came to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this ministry was so effectual that the merchants of deaths co-opted our civil government uh, to do their bidding on their behalf. And so they uh, basically, our government became their personal uh, security guards, and they use them uh, to go after uh, those who were merely following in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who interposed on the cross, who put himself between the world, the devil, and our own sinful flesh, these enemies that were arrayed against us, which we were helpless and hopeless against, and because of his interposition, uh, he saved us, he rescued us. And so those who followed in his footsteps uh, to live out the no greater love ethic by laying ourselves down uh, for the life of another, uh, the government went after us. And at first, they tried to shut us down uh, through RICO, where they were treating rescuers 
uh, as mobsters, like we were the new mafia. And of course, when they instituted that so-called law, they promised they would not use that against American citizens, only against Costa Nostra, mafia, mobsters. Well, we got charged with racketeering. And um, that case stood over our heads for about 20 years. Uh, but thanks be to God, we finally won that case. And that sword was removed from our heads. Praise be to God. Well, when that didn't work to try to stop us, they came up with the draconian law face freedom of access to clinic entrances. And what they do by this, brothers and sisters, if you're not aware, they take a trespass charge, which is a misdemeanor, and they apply federal penalties. And what was the purpose? So that our nation in peace could commit child sacrifice, shed the blood of the innocent, crush their heads, dismember their bodies under the protection of the federal beast in Washington, D.C. And so, yeah, that kind of put a damper on our activities. And there were some of us, even after it was passed, we continued to rescue, and uh, we were facing um, the charges of face, which, you know, um, you could spend a lot of time in federal prison. Uh, at one point, we were facing over 11 years uh, in federal prison, and it would have taken three lifetimes to pay off the financial fines. And so we, we did that, and thanks be to God, uh, the Lord, uh, you know, as our great advocate intervened, and uh, he delivered us out of the hands of the Department of Justice on more than one occasion. And so, you know, for many years, uh, rescue was at a standstill uh, simply because we could not find enough brethren willing to cross that line um, and sacrifice on the behalf of the pre-born. Uh, they were ministering in other ways but because of the draconian uh, face bill, we sort of backed off from rescue for a few years. And then um, recently, in the last couple of years, we did cross the line in Louisville, Kentucky for the Mother's Day rescue. And there's a number of reasons why we decided to cross that line. I don't want to get into it. But with that rescue, um, it kind of inspired others uh, to start rescuing again. And so since that time, there's been about, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight rescues that have taken place. And there are a few of our brothers and sisters that you know, if I named them, 
that have been involved in these rescues. And for a while, uh, the federal government was silent. And, um, but then lo and behold, the charges started to come in and began to mount. Now, I got to say that previously, when we were dealing with the federal government and being charged with face, there seemed to be an unwillingness for the federal government to take this to trial. And what I mean by that, every single time we were charged with it, they would bring us in and they would want to negotiate a deal, which was really strange. And initially we were like, why... You know, if this is the so-called law, why are they wanting to negotiate outside of court? And so there seemed to be an unwillingness to bring us to trial. And I think, and I could be wrong, I think part of it was just like the Dobbs decision, right? You know, the Dobbs decision obviously failed the pre-born by not upholding the 14th and 5th Amendment and kicking it back to the states. But one thing the Dobbs decision did do was finally expose the truth that, you know, Roe versus Wade was never the law of the land. It was always the lie of the land. And so uh, even the leftists and the Marxists, they understood that that was bad law. It was unconstitutional. But it took that many years to bring it to light. And I think the same could be said for the face bill. It is so unconstitutional uh, on its face, pardon the pun, um, that there was this unwillingness to bring it to trial because I believe the forces that back abortion uh, didn't want it overthrown and found unconstitutional in court. Well, that was previous administrations. We now know we live under a different regime uh, with the Biden administration, and we know that they have weaponized the federal agencies uh, to go after their political enemies. We see this with the Trump syndrome, we see this with the so-called January 6th insurrection. And by the way, guys, for a year and a half, uh, the powers of the darkness was trying to connect yours truly as one of the ringleaders that organized that so-called insurrection. And again, only by the grace of God uh, was that plan exposed and came to naught. But you have the Trump syndrome, you got the January 6th uh, so-called insurrection, and so much is coming to light to expose um, that uh, th those situations. And, of course, uh, this uh, two-tier system of justice implemented by the Biden administration now has thrown rescuers into the mix. And so... They're no longer wanting to negotiate deals with the rescuers. They are bringing them to chop to trial, and they want the full weight of the federal beast uh, to fall upon them. And so, brothers and sisters, this is a serious time uh, for some of our brothers and sisters. They are facing multiple years 
uh, in federal prison, you know, countless fines, um, pretty much life as they know it uh, is over. But right now, they're the Lord's freemen. But soon and very soon, they can be become the Lord's prisoners. And so I have been working behind the scenes, working with the lead attorneys, working with the, the brethren, the defendants, uh, helping them, raising funds, praying for them, ministering to them, and getting the public support that they need uh, as they are facing um, some dire circumstances that will quite possibly ill affect their future. And so we're going to discuss some things about um, an upcoming rally that I'm putting together. Really, it's it's two rallies. And so, you know, we put together this campaign, I Stand with the 11, which we had to change, I Stand with the 10 uh, campaign. Initially, there were 11 rescuers, and some of them did multiple rescues. Uh, there was one particularly in Washington, D.C., and as I began to discuss um, the issue with some of the attorneys, and they let me know the makeup of the defendants, you know, I cautioned them that probably uh, the enemy of our soul was going to have a field day uh, with the makeup of the defendants. There were some that were born again, some that named the name of Christ, but there were, you know, atheists, there was uh, a transgendered person, and and again, they, they had the heart, and I commend them for this, they had the heart uh, to rescue the pre-born, but this group, they were not united in Christ. There were different worldviews, there were different faiths, or no faith at all, and I, I, I just saw in that plenty of openings for the enemy to exploit and, you know, employ the separate, divide, and conquer strategy. And sure enough, uh, that's exactly uh, went down in Washington, D.C. Now, the sad part, really the saddest part of all, when it came to that case, one of the evangelicals caved under the pressure and turned state's evidence against the other rescuers. And, you know, out of all the makeup of these rescuers, you know, atheists, transgendered, none of them would allow um, the government or the enemy of our souls to exploit the situation and turn state evidence. It was the one who professed faith in Christ, the evangelical, who actually caved. And obviously, that is a huge betrayal. And that person will be used in future trials. And so, obviously, brothers and sisters, we need to be praying uh, for our, our brethren, um, who are f facing not only the federal beast from without, but huge betrayal 
from within. So with all that in mind, uh, the these cases are moving forward, and the next big one coming up, and there's others, there, I think there's cases in Michigan and, and some other places, but the one we are concentrating on, the one that we are rallying people and supporting, uh, is the case in Nashville, Tennessee. And the dates for those case, that case is um, July 15th, that's a Monday, and July 16th, and that is a Tuesday. And so starting Monday evening, we're going to have a rally, and we got some locals. We got a local church that is hosting us. We got locals. We got people from coming from out of state. We're going to hear from the lead attorney. We're going to hear from some of the defendants. And I'm going to give a message on redemptive suffering that evening, because quite possibly that is what our brethren are going to face um, if, you know, the charges against them stick and they are found guilty. Um, and so it's really, really important that we wrestle with the biblical implications of what that will mean, not only for them in their future, but for the body of Christ at large. And then the next morning, we are going to have a rally. Let me see if I can find that information. Hold on, buddies. Let me get over here to Facebook. And we're going to look at the I Stand with the campaign rally here let me get over there and lo and behold here we are and let me see here okay so on monday evening this is january 15th we are going to be meeting at the parkway baptist church and it's located at 1715 lee victory parkway and that's in Smyrna, Tennessee, 37167. And that service will start at 7 p.m. And so the next morning, we plan on holding another prayer rally of support before the actual trial begins. And that begins at 9 a.m. So we're going to set up at 7.30 at the Fred D. Thompson Federal Building and Courthouse and that's located at 719 Church Street, of all places, Nashville, Tennessee, 37203. And so we want to be set up and ready to go at 730 uh, in the morning. And just another note, there are two public parking places near the courthouse. From what I understand, it's a nightmare to park in that area. So we're going to have to utilize uh, those parking places. So let's get back, brothers and sisters, to our understanding of what this all means. So obviously, um, they're taking a misdemeanor charge where they were trespassing for literally for dear life, and um, and they're going to apply federal penalties. They're facing a lot of years in federal prison uh, if indeed found guilty. So let's kind of investigate what's, what is the nature of their crime? 
Well, legally, they call it trespassing. But here's, here's the reality, brothers and sisters. In many way, ways, these rescuers were performing our government's duty before God, um, which our government betrayed when they so-called legalized the murder of the pre-born. See, so many Christians, so many people in the church of Jesus Christ do not have a biblical worldview of civil government. And this is where issues like this get a little murky, um, a little confusing, and, and we, we don't understand um, the implications of what is happening here. But biblically, the call upon civil government, what they are ordained to do in performance of their duty before God, it's basically threefold. They are there to restrain evil. They are there to protect life, and they are there to stop the shedding of innocent blood. Well, of course, abortion betrays their sacred trust. And so then the sword, this, this ministry of justice, this sword of justice is being utilized in vain. And they're using the power of civil government to protect murderers, and they're using the power of government to condemn the innocent to death. And because they are betraying their sacred trust, this is where the rescuers stepped in to do their duty for them. And of course, our founding fathers believed in this biblical mandate that this was the purpose, the role of civil government to restrain evil, to protect life and stop the shedding of innocent blood. Thomas Jefferson, our third president, declared the care of human life and happiness and not their destruction is the first and only object of good government. Imagine that. And this is the very one who enshrined the right to life in our Declaration of Independence. He was convinced of this biblical truth. And so what did he pen? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unnameable rights, that among these are what? Life. Life. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Now, we know in history, in times past, our government and this nation violated the right to liberty. And it cost our nation a civil war to remedy that violation of our own national covenant and creed. So we refused to uphold the right to liberty. We enslaved our black brothers and sisters 
and God's judgment fell upon us to the uttermost. Well, for the last 50 or so years, we have denied the right to life to our own sons and daughters. Could you imagine what this nation has stored up when it comes to the wrath and judgment of God upon us? At least the slaves, for the most part, were allowed to live. But we, under the color of law, are murdering the most vulnerable, the most innocent legally amongst us. And just like we did not get away with denying the right of liberty to our black brothers and sisters, I promise you we will not get away denying the right to life to our own sons and daughters. These rescuers and those in the abolitionist movement understand this truth and reality, and this is why we were to stop this evil, knowing that it will not just impact those who are murdering their children, but impact a nation that condones it, that upholds it, that protects it, and honors it. Literally, our future, our welfare, hangs in the balance. And so what did these gentle Christians do? Well, again, they were practicing the historical doctrine of interposition. And by the way, our nation was partly founded upon this doctrine. And through the years, it's been used to correct some of the wrongs and end some of the injustices like slavery and racial, racial discrimination. You know, we, we, we learned in history of Harriet Tubman, right, and the Underground Railroad, right, and the, the Federal Fugitive Slave Act, where the federal beast said, the, 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 our black brothers and sisters, they're not fully human, they're property, and even if they escape from the plantation, you can hunt them down, and you can drag them back and, and put them back in slavery, put them back in chains again. But there were Christians, there were people of goodwill that said, no, that's an unjust law. That's a wicked decree, right? And so what did they do? They interposed. They put themselves between the oppressor and the victim, and they rescued the victim. And, and that's what this doctrine teaches. In other words, for the doctrine of interposition to work, we have to understand three vital truths. There is an oppressor, and there is a victim. And then there's this third party who sees the oppressor and what they're doing, who understands the plight of the victim and moved with compassion, moved with love for neighbor, steps between the oppressor and the victim, and thereby rescuing the victim from harm. And uh, brothers and sisters, again, this is what Jesus Christ modeled for us. This is what the church has practiced throughout redemptive history um, because 
The church understands that man is made in the image of God, that there's a sacredness to human life that needs to be protected. Whenever we saw uh, oppressors arise uh, to destroy human beings made in the image of God unjustly, we interposed, right, to rescue the victim. That's what God has used to end slavery, to end human sacrifice, to end other evils uh, throughout the world and throughout history. Well, why is that? Because Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is not our first rodeo, Church of the Living God. This is our heritage. This is our history. And you have people today, yes, they're in the minority, but they believe this. They understand that. And they also understand it's our turn now. And so they're intervening. They are interposing. They are putting themselves in harm's way on the behalf of those who cannot rescue themselves, who cannot speak for themselves. Amen? And so understand that that's what's going on behind the scenes when it comes to this trial. Now, when we turn to the legal realm in American jurisprudence, and let me just say, every time that we used of this defense, it's called the necessity defense, every time in rescue we were allowed to present that defense, we won every case and we were exonerated. So what is the necessity defense? And I don't know, brothers and sisters, if the lawyers in this um, case are going to be allowed uh, to bring forth the necessity defense, and, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with court trials and how they work, but the judge, pretty much, he determines the rules of the court. What's going to be allowed? What's not going to be allowed? And I got to tell you, there were times when we were doing rescue that they would literally take out the jury when we were giving our defense. They would not allow the jury to hear our motives and the judges say, well, you can't say murder, you can't say baby, you can't quote the Bible. Well, you know what? If, if, the, if the jury's not hearing our defense and we can't give, you know, like motive is like a huge part of a court trial. Like, why did you do what you, you do or what you did, right? Huge part of the court trial. Well, no, not when it comes to rescue. We can't tell the court or the judge or the jury what motivated us to interpose on the behalf of these helpless children. In fact, you can't even say they're children. You can't say they're babies. You can't say they're made in the image of God. You can't say our government is the lawbreaker here and the rescuers are the law keepers. No, you can't say all that. And sometimes we'll get rid of the jury so they don't hear that. Yeah, it could be part of the court record, but the jury's not going to hear it. And so this is what could possibly be their plight as they're going into the courtroom. But when allowed to give the necessity defense, we prevailed 100% of the time. Now, will that be allowed in this case? I don't know. But let me give you 
kind of a scenario to highlight uh, the revelation of the necessity defense. Let's say you're walking along on a public sidewalk and there's a fence, you know, along this sidewalk. And as you're walking along, every, you know, few feet or so, you read signs that say, no trespass. So you know for sure that the person or persons who own this property, they do not want you climbing over this fence and going on their private property. And the law backs them to the hilt. Well, yeah, you notice the sign, but you also notice, hey, there's a swimming pool there. And I notice a little toddler stumbling towards the pool, and lo and behold, the toddler falls into the pool, and that little one is drowning. Now, what do you do? Because the law says, do not trespass. But guess what? There's a higher law. And, and, and in American jurisprudence, we have recognized the higher law. So though the law, lower law says don't trespass, the higher law says there's a law that supersedes that, and it is now your duty and your responsibility legally to jump over that fence, jump in that pool, and save that child. That's called the necessity defense. And so when it comes to these rescuers, where the law says, and of course this law countermands the law of God. In other words, God says, thou shalt not murder. Well, man's law says, you shall murder with our blessing and with our protection, right? And in those cases, what is the historical response of the church? Now understand, when it comes to Christianity in the church, we are tall. We are to obey civil government. We are to honor the king. In other words, any nation that has a large segment of Christians in their nation, that's a blessed nation. And that's a blessed government, by the way. Because I don't know of any other world view and faith that says we're to honor government and obey civil government. But the point being, if we do this right, we are the best citizens in any nation when we practice this truth. But the very apostles who told us to obey civil government and honor the king both died by the hands of civil government. And so what's the deal here, brothers and sisters? Are, are the apostles hypocrites? Are they telling us one thing and then doing another thing? No. They just understood that civil government was under God. God ordained it. He instituted it. And they were a delegated authority, right? And they had a certain duty before God, which was to punish evil and protect those who are good in God's sight. Um and when the government does that, we are to obey. We are to, to honor uh, that authority. 
But what happens when the laws of men conflict with or countermand the law of God? Well, the scriptures are clear. We must obey God rather than man. And so here we have, in, in, in these cases, we have the doctrine of interposition. We have a correct understanding of the role of civil government and their duty before God. They're the ones that are supposed to restrain evil. They're the ones that are supposed to protect life. They're the ones that are to stop the shedding of innocent blood. They are the ones to minister the sword of justice in a just and godly way. But what happens when they refuse to be a minister of a God, which that's what the Bible says they are, they're the deacon of God, the minister of God. What happens when that lawful authority morphs and becomes a willing dupe of the evil one who has come to kill, steal, and to destroy? Well, our duty is clear. We must obey God rather than men. And, of course, that brings up um, the revelation of redemptive suffering in you look at the book of Acts, you know, that's what the book of Acts to a large degree is all about. This battle between Caesar and Christ, who is ultimately Lord and whose laws ultimately should reign in the affairs of men, God's law or man's law. Well, that battle remains. And, that, that, and those are some of the issues that are being raised uh, in this trial. And so we got the doctrine of interposition. We got a correct understanding of civil government. Uh, in the legal realms, we're dealing with the necessity defense, right? And so when you put this all together, brothers and sisters, we have to understand uh, what is at stake here as our brethren face the federal beast as they face multiple years in federal prison um these are some of the truths and the realities that are hanging in the balance along with their future brothers and sisters so it's critically important that um we we go to nashville and, and I pray you'll, you'll pass this episode on. I'll put the link of our Facebook event page uh, in this episode, and I pray you spread it far and wide. Uh, we need to be standing with our brethren, and we got to give a public witness of these things. It's so critically important. And so, brothers and sisters, you know, uh, there was uh, a godly motive and a godly action taken on the behalf of these babies in the womb who are made in the image of God. These gentle Christians, instead of being condemned by the government, this culture of death and some Christians who do not have a biblical worldview of these things, um, who might be in agreement with their condemnation, I will tell you that may that may happen. But in in the future, 
And surely before God, these people will not be condemned. They will be commended by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for they loved their neighbor as themselves, and they fulfilled the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Brothers and sisters, be honest. If you were scheduled to die, if your body was going to be torn limb from limb, if your head was going to be decapitated and your blood be shed, wouldn't you want somebody praying for you? Wouldn't you want somebody intervening and opposing on your behalf? Of course we would. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Ultimately, they're being accused of a crime called being a Christian, a follower of Christ. And they are literally walking uh, in his path and what he's accomplished on our behalf. So, brothers and sisters, I do pray uh, that you will be able uh, to gather with us uh, in Nashville. Again, the dates are January 15th. That's a Monday for the Monday night rally uh, at Parkway Baptist Church in Smyrna, Tennessee, and then gather at that federal courthouse at 730. And let's pray. Let's be a strong public witness. And let's defend the defenders who have defended the lives of the pre-born. Until then, you keep pressing on to that high calling prize in Jesus' name. God bless you, saints. Till next time.